if every client you've had is crappy, you really need to take a look at yourself and what you're doing. You might not be a bad person or a crappy freelancer, but if it keeps happening, something is wrong in your process. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Business of Freelancing podcast, where we help you get better clients, make more money, and live a happier and healthier life freelancing. As always, I'm your host, Brennan Dunn, and today I'm here to talk with Bryce Bladen. Bryce is the, I guess he's the uh, curator-in-chief of Clients from Hell. Um, You might have actually, I've done a few joint workshops with them in the past, so if you're listening to this, you might have actually discover double your freelancing and what I'm working on uh, through Bryce or through clients from hell. Yeah. So today we talked about, you know, everything from qualifying new clients to setting the right expectations. I mean, just to give you a little context. So Bryce runs a website whose sole purpose is to showcase uh, crazy clients. So clients who have unrealistic expectations or, um, you know, say things that just make the freelancer on the receiving end really, really annoyed. And they get so annoyed that they take a screenshot of the email or the text message or whatever, send it over to Bryce. It gets posted on this uh, on this blog, Clients from Hell. And so, you know, I've always thought, and, and this is kind of what Bryce and I discussed, that if the freelancer could have been a little, um, usually could have been a little more in charge when it came to this is how we work together. This is how... I need you to respond and act on work that I have submitted for you, you know, and so on. A lot of the stories on clients from hell wouldn't need to be there. So, you know, in a way, this episode is kind of a how can we put clients from hell out of business because they don't need to like we don't need (laughs) that's a little bleak, but we don't need to. um, How can we have less or fewer clients from hell? I guess is the theme of this uh, of this interview. So that's what Bryce and I talked about. So here's Bryce. All right, I want to introduce you guys to Bryce Blade. And you probably know Bryce through his work at Clients from Hell, which is the site we all love to go to to see ridiculous and absurd client <laughs> screenshots of like weird, like make the logo bigger and all that good stuff. So uh, Bryce, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Brennan. First off, how long have you been involved with Clients from Hell? Oh, geez. Um, it's been a while now, right? Yeah, no. However long, however old the site is, um, subtract about a year. Okay. And uh, that's that's pretty much it. So for those who don't, I mean, that was my uh, <laughs> crappy review, attempted a review. But what would you, how do you describe what it is you guys do over there? Um, it's a collection of anonymously submitted uh, tales of woe from uh, designers are our main audience, but really any creative professional, anyone who deals with clients uh, probably has a place on the site and probably has a story there they can relate to. It kind of reminds me of I've been out of the the scene for about 10 years now with the whole like, you know, dating stories from hell sort of thing. Uh, Reminds me a lot of like what you, you know, I've seen like these different like, you know, screenshots of SMS logs and all that good stuff. Um, So it reminds me, it's a great site. It's just it's I've always liked what you guys have up there um, just from like a, well, I I like it. I, in a way, don't like, I don't like, because I think a lot of the times these are um, people who could, and I think we're going to be talking about that today, could avoid people like that, could avoid working with those kind of like 
pathological clients. Um, so I kind of I kind of feel bad that people ended up at that point. Um, I guess it's good for you though. <laughs> but um, we're going to be talking today, I think, about just how do we make sure that the people that we work with are high quality, respect us. You know, that they're going to treat us like the professionals we are. And I think what we're going to be discussing specifically is qualifying. Is that correct? I mean, that all sounds great to me. We, we can talk about whatever you want. Okay, it's good. kind of your show. <laughs> well, let, let's let's start from uh, let's start from the beginning. So most people, I think, you know, we, we go to job boards, we do Craigslist, we go to um, like sites like Upwork or I guess used to be called Odesk. Um you know, we have all these different ways or just get referrals or whatever. We have all these different ways of getting clients. And I think, you know, one thing that I've observed and I think is probably pretty universal is um, a lot of a lot of freelancers, especially people who have not been doing it sufficiently long enough that they have more demand than supply are inclined to agree to everything and to it's, it's very hard to say no to somebody who's potentially willing to pay you money, even if that money comes with a lot of potential pain attached to it. You know, I know when I started out, I was pretty accepting of most projects. I um, it was unheard of to say no to a client or to to fire a client or to fire a lead who was perfectly willing to pay me money. It wasn't until I ran into a lot of the experiences like the kind you feature on your site that I realized I I had to find a way. And, and this is something that kind of or you know organically evolved and hopefully in our discussion today, we'll help people kind of get a little, take a shortcut to that end goal. Um, that helped me start to weed out the people who just probably wouldn't be a good fit. Not that they're necessarily bad people. It's not like these are evil people that no one should work with. I mean, that's obviously sometimes true, but there were some people who just wouldn't, who were not a good fit for the kind of work I did, the kind of work my team did. And so on. So it became kind of really important for us to have a, a process for how we determine who's a good candidate for what we provide. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I just wanted to agree with everything you've been saying, uh, even even when you're uh, when you potentially have a problem with the site and uh, you think to yourself, you know, sometimes these people are creating these crappy client situations to themselves. And it's it's sort of true. I mean, not all the time. Uh, the worst clients are the ones that are just terrible on their own. They're usually just terrible people that happen to be clients in this situation. I mean, in, in your professional career, you, the listener, listening right now, with the exception of just getting completely blindsided by a crappy client, by having somebody be two-faced, most of these situations are completely avoidable. And I, I think you, you highlighted something important, and that was that you mentioned that a lot of your crappy clients, your inability to say no, it comes on early in your career when you haven't assessed with what you're worth or and you haven't figured out who you work well with and when you're when you're hungry you know uh when you when you have uh the need for more work than you do to be picky about who you work with so yeah just a lot of important points you hit there and uh the other one is i i just i really got to underline this most clients from hell aren't terrible people like most bad client experiences you'll have if you have many in your career they're they're going to be the result of miscommunications unaligned expectations i mean sometimes cheapskates but a lot of the time the clients are doing the best they can too and they really just want whatever you guys are working on together to succeed uh and it's something you need to appreciate and you need to approach it from that uh that point of view in my opinion at least and that's a good point because i mean a specific example for me and this happened twice 
in my early consulting career was, you know, I took it for granted that I build for my time, regardless of if I was actually producing material assets like code or design or sitting on the phone with a, with a client. And um, so we would send these invoices. And there was one client in particular who was receiving these invoices. He wasn't the one actually, we just sent it kind of his like a person who did all of his payments. So, you know, we'd send this invoice every two weeks that would have line items for development, design, along with meetings and project management and things like that. And then we got probably three, four months into the project and we got, he within a split second became a client from hell because he was saying like, you guys are stealing from me. You're, you know, you're, you're charging me for this stuff. Um, you know, I, why should I pay for, you know, this isn't, you know, if I'm on the phone, you never told me that I was being billed for that time. Um, blah, 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 blah. And it ended up really, I mean, this is, you know, we were a small team at the time, but this really affected me. It affected, I mean, it, it affected me in a way because I wasn't, directly involved in the project. I wasn't the one on the project, but I was the owner of the company. So I was kind of the, the buck stopped with me. But on top of that, it affected the people like, you know, the, the guy who was doing most of the development didn't want to work on the project anymore. He basically hated the person now. And, you know, it's one of the, like you just said, it's it's had we done a few things up front, it probably would not have been an issue. But here was the client who assumed one thing and we assumed another thing and we were kind of on the different wavelength, which when, you know, way into it, right, like the 11th hour into it, when the client finally did realize that he was spending thousands of dollars more without knowing it, he kind of understandably became a client from hell. But at the time, we felt insulted. We felt, you know, really emotionally angry and upset. And it just made the whole relationship toxic. And, and in retrospect, it's one of those things I kick myself thinking like, I just had, you know, I should have set the expectations that, hey, this is this is how we bill and this is what you can expect and, you know, and so on. But we didn't. And I think I've seen that happen a lot. I've seen a lot of people. And I think a lot of the things that I've seen, um, the stories I've seen on your site are reflective of, of, of that, where, you know, the freelancer in this case has an expectation, has an assumption. Um, and, but it's not shared. It's not something that both parties have bought into. It's like a powder keg and it explodes at some point. And let's talk about that. Let's talk about qualifying clients because like aligning those expectations, setting up channels for communication. These are, those are like the three big things you, you do all this and you have gotten rid of 95% of your potential crappy clients just right up front. And when it comes to really bad clients, the ideal situation is one where you spend next to no time dealing with them because there's the crappiness of clients tends to be insidious. It tends to be something that builds up over time. Like when in your example right there, you talked about this was a four month relationship and it was that all this had built up and then the surprise factor kicked in and this client felt like you were ripping them off because, you know, there were there were higher dollar amounts associated with it. The time didn't. Uh, meet his expectations for how you th how he thought you were spending it. Uh, neither party is necessarily wrong in that scenario. It's just that one of those parties had a very different idea of what was going down than the other one. And so you got to qualify that up front. Actually, uh, my friend Paul Jarvis just launched, uh, I think, a product uh, related to qualifying your clients today. Can't remember what it's called. So sorry, you're not getting a free yeah, shout it's, out. It's, oh. um, it's, it's, I, I saw it too. It's like, pro it, it starts with a P. 
It does start with a P. <laughs> Let me think. Um, oh, we're not we're not leading this. Project prescription. Project prescription. Uh, and I've been dug into it, but I assume it's just a, a set of like qualifying questions that he uses, or I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure uh, okay. they're, they're pretty universal, though, regardless as to what your uh, sure. field or craft are. I mean, it's basic stuff. Um, and, and there's also questions you should ask yourself. You should also qualify yourself. So, like, what kind of work do you want to do? What kind of work do you want to get into? Uh, what kind of people do you like working with? What are your favorite types of clients, of industries? What are your good personality traits? What are bad personality traits? And is there like any, oh, yes, like if this kind of client approaches me, I don't care if I'm getting paid half my usual rate. Like this is, I am so interested and excited. And then there's the flip side of that. Are there clients that I just can immediately say no to? And then you can take that a step further. Uh, like, does this person trust me? Do they understand your work? How much do you need to educate them? Uh, do you genuinely think this is a good idea, whatever they're pitching you on? Like, uh, you know, the next social media site? Probably not. That's a pretty, uh, <laughs> like those, there are certain things that if you don't believe in the project, you probably shouldn't work on it. Now, I say that, but like if my bank account was empty and somebody was willing to pay me thousands of dollars for something that I thought was a silly idea, there's a very real chance I'd do it. But hopefully you're in a position where you get to pick and choose. And even if even if you are desperate, do do have some regard for yourself and your time, because time you spend working on something you're not enjoying or is genuinely unpleasant, it's going to work you twice as hard as something you enjoy working on. And I think that goes underappreciated, too. I, I, it's kind of a catch 22. I'm telling you not to take every project that comes your way, even if you're starving. But it really does make a difference. If you can somehow manage that, I strongly recommend it. You know, you and I, and, and we'll talk about uh, your new thing in a, you know, near the end of the show, but you and I are both kind of now, we both have um, products, you know, courses or books that are what we would call turnkey, where the, the work on our part has already been done. And so we don't need to worry about if like somebody buys your new book, Bryce, that's like, you know, somebody you just don't like because it doesn't really, it doesn't affect you you know, in any meaningful way. Whereas with consulting, you know, I always like to look at it as I try to group clients into either like, you know, I call it a plus one, zero or negative one. But basically, is this person moving me forward? Is this person moving my business in the direction I want it to go? Is it stagnating me? Or is this uh, project holding me back? And I tried to, tr you know, in a way, my qualifying tried to figure that out. Um, because why that mattered was time is non-renewable. Like I can sell a thousand copies of W Freelancing Rate, which would be awesome while we're recording this. And my time is, my input is still the same. But if, you know, I can only work on so many projects at once. If I book this two month project, that's the next two months of my life really spoken for professionally. And, um, and like you were saying, I mean, is it worth just being a little more, you know, willing to say no and, and spending a little more time finding that right client versus uh, committing yourself to this, which has a very high likelihood of not working out and or not moving your business in a way that makes sense, right? Like it doesn't actually move you forward in the way you want it to move forward. Absolutely. I mean, sometimes it's all right to, to you know, just tread water, but a lot of the times you want to be moving forward and you really do want to appreciate your time. Let me talk about my like number one thing. Um, and we've mentioned it a few times. We've kind of tickled around it. But like setting those expectations, um, if you do enter into work with a client and setting those expectations before. Let's not even talk about before you even get started on work, before you even like sign the contract. Things like the scope of work, the fees, the budget, the timeline, the milestones, the deadlines. Uh, they should be understood. They should be clarified. They should be written out. 
what is everyone responsible for? Like the most frustrating clients I've had, and I use the term frustrating, not evil, not bad, but frustrating, have been the ones where we're working together. And for the record, the best clients I have are the ones who appreciate we're working together. I'm not necessarily working for you. Um, well, you you have. both have responsibilities, right? Like exactly. Both sides do, right? But when I work with these clients, and, and these are the frustrating ones, and they're responsible for something and they need to deliver on it. And we just get caught up on this bottleneck where they're not putting in this like one or two hours of work they need to do to send over these assets or whatever. And then I'm just left spinning my wheels and the project gets held up. Maybe we got stuck at a milestone and like I, I blocked off all this time to work on this project, but I can't work on it because I'm not getting this thing from my client. And then like it sets us both up to fail. So if both of you appreciate what you're responsible for, it prevents those terrible situations. And then uh, when I talked about like milestones and deadlines, those are excellent times for just having a little powwow. Um, any, any form of communication is good with any sort of client um, because uh, I, I don't know if it's just because I know so many creatives who uh, identify as introverts or whatever, or if it's just that I'm this exact type of person where rather than picking up the phone and having uh, maybe a potentially awkward conversation, I'll just see the problem and I'll be like, I'm going to let that problem just fester and become something utterly, utterly terrible. And once it explodes, that's when I'll deal with it. That's what you want to avoid. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, for the record, I recognize this behavior in myself. I'm doing my best. Um, but I, if I'm being honest with myself, as, uh, as I'm trying to, I'm, I'm one of those people who will put off doing something I just don't want to do, no, even though it's perfectly harmless. And I'll let these little niggling problems become serious obstacles for both me and my clients. So if we're honest about like obstacles, delays, issues, and if we deal with them before they become, before they fester, we both understand each other. We both understand what's going on. Uh, and we, we can both just have a much better relationship for it. Well, I think, I mean, you hit the nail on the head there and that, you know, I don't think, I don't think it's possible. I think it, well, I, I do think it's possible, but I don't think it's usually possible to over communicate. I mean, what, I, what I've seen is we, we talked before about the wavelength thing. The way I look at it is if let's say we've got a, you know, a project that we're working on, you're the client, I'm the freelancer. Um, you've got some ideas on kind of what, what I should be doing, you know, what, what it's, let's say we're doing a website redesign, what the site's going to look like, what I'm, what my focus is on and so on. You have those ideas made up in your head. And then I have my own ideas and I have my own things of, in terms of what I what am I actually doing? And the longer we go without discussing and getting back at, you know, in sync, I guess is the best way of putting it the more room for there, there is for divergence, right? Like, so, you know, I'm deviating off course in a way because I'm, it's not that I'm not actually creating a website like I'm like we all know I'm doing for you. It's no longer the right website in the sense of it being what you understood that website to be. And the more we put off that communication, the, the, the further or the bigger rather the divergence is. And then it becomes really, really painful and probably expensive to get it back in the center to get everyone back on that same wavelength. So yeah, yeah. I mean, that's why like, I mean, part of it I think should be like, I've had clients who have refused to do any QA work. They just kind of put their head in the sand and they're like, you know, when it's done, it's done. And I think it's usually because they don't understand the process of let's say web website design. They don't, they think it's kind of like where, you know, a vendor buying an off the shelf product and shipping it to them or something, right? It's, it's, they don't realize kind of often what goes into it. So they 
you know, some clients I've worked with, and you've probably seen many of these more so than I ever have, are of the attitude of, well, you know, show it to me when it's ready. And then, you know, they kind of disappear. They don't review anything. And uh, the freelancer, unfortunately, doesn't have anything in their rule book saying, if we're going to work together, here's how we're going to meet. Here's my expectation with you. Whenever I have something for you to review, I need to, you know, uh, I need you to review it within, let's say, a business day, whatever that might be. There's nothing like that in place. So what happens is the client who's like, I, I'll see it when it's done. Well, what ends up happening? And I, I think we both have seen this a lot, which is, well, you bring back the website. It's, of course, not what they wanted. And now if it's a fixed price thing, now you're doing a bunch of you're stuck with a bunch of extra work you're not getting paid for. You're unhappy. You know, you're not making money as you're not making as much as you thought you would. You know, and so on. It just becomes like this nightmare that could have been resolved by just saying, look, if, you know, we, we both have equal inputs. My input is one thing. Your input is a different thing. And combined, they create the deliverable, the project, the, the thing that's going to help you, the client's business. And um, yeah, I, can't, I mean, I, I just anytime you've had the client who sticks their head in the sand or um, you know, something like that, or again, doesn't assume that uh, they're getting billed the way they thought they're getting billed. I mean, that's just, it's, again, it's that powder kegs that just explode, you know? For sure, for sure. <laughs> um, the, like, the longer you go with that dissonance widening, uh, the worse it's going to be when it, uh, when you eventually realize how far you've drifted apart. Um, and we talk about expectations, but they do come in a lot of forms. There's, there's the basic business relationship expectations, you know, how are you getting paid when, what the style of work is going to be. But there is also the actual expectations for like, what will this project look like when it's done? Part of this is qualifying your clients. Part of it is setting these expectations for how you're going to communicate. Um, like my ideal client is one who is as hands off as possible. That's how a lot of people work or would prefer to work at least. And that's usually pretty great for this website example. Um, when you are qualifying that client, like ask them what are some websites they like or what are some aspects of websites they like. Uh, like have them provide examples if you can. And if, if they're the kind of client who's like, that sounds like work for me, I'm not going to do that. You probably won't work well together. Uh, even if you think like, yeah, no, I don't want you to do any of this stuff anyways. That it sounds good. It sounds like a kind of sweet deal until, you know, three months down the line, they're like, oh, this isn't how I wanted it to look. And then, yeah, you just have a terrible situation on your hands. Whereas the kind of client, even if they're hands off, if they understand that, you know, like, listen, once the wireframes are done, we're going to need you to take a look at it. We're going to need you to make sure this works with your vision. Um, and we need to figure out what is and isn't working. It's, it's important that the client feels safe to, like, communicate their dissatisfaction at an early stage. Because when they communicate that at the last stage, it just, as you've said, introduces costs, ruins time, sours the relationship a bit. And there, there are also just like these very basic personality traits to watch out for on a completely different note. Like very like if a client is consistently having ambiguous expectations, I don't think enough freelancers appreciate that as they get better, as they start to charge more, um, something they should get better at is helping the client figure out what they want. Because if a client comes to a freelancer, unless you are one of those freelancers who is like frequenting like Craigslist or Odesk or whatever it's called now, um, and you're perfectly happy doing that, you know, just like basic service um, or product and the client pays you a set amount and that's that. I mean, that's great. That's a very easy way to work. But if you're the kind of person who wants to start making more, who wants to be treated like an expert as opposed to a 
you know, just an off the shelf product. You're going to have to help your client figure out what they want. You need to figure out what that final product's going to look like, what direction you need to be moving in, what's required, what the goals are. Will this meet those goals? Well, it's basically and, the difference between being, well, you know, an order taker versus a consultant, right? Like, for sure, you know, for sure. do I just work off specifications or do I actually help influence? And I think that's, I mean, to me, at least that's a really big, big distinction too, in terms of I've noticed more, the more advisory role you have in the project, the more respect and everything else comes with the client, um, which is probably where we all want to be. And amazingly, the more creative freedom too. I mean, we all have, especially designers, we all want to be able to have that kind of creative latitude. And um, one great way of doing that is to not just be the tell me how big to make the logo and tell me what color and instead to be like the, you know, be that person who's helping leverage your, the massive amount of experience you have in the design world to help them put together that, right? For sure. For sure. You're the expert here. I mean, there are those pig headed people who think they know better than you, or there are those people who think like, just because they're the ones writing the money, like their their ideas are inherently better um they might get last call on some of these decisions uh because in the end it might be their product and that's that but if if they are just like disrespectful of your expertise if if they are the kind of uh, client who doesn't appreciate what you're bringing to the table they think that just because they're writing the check that you take those orders you don't question them whatever you know any client that doesn't pay on time that refuses to communicate and that just blows off appointments, whatever that doesn't respect you. I mean, it, it seems really obvious, but yeah, it, it's just, it's not going to be a good relationship. Uh, like if they're unappreciative about what you bring to the table too, like I don't need to be patted on the head, uh, with a client whenever I deliver something or whatever. But if, if like a client expects time or like a certain kind of behavior, and I use that term with italics. <laughs> um, by that, I mean, like, they just expect you to, to worship the floor they walk on. And I, I feel like I'm coming across as very bitter here. I've only met a couple of those people. And uh, they are people I should have seen it coming from. But uh, <laughs> point being, just big red signs. Uh, if, if a client just elevates themselves above you for no other reason than because. Very obvious stuff, I know. But uh, it, it's the kind of stuff that bad clients are, are like, they're the picture-perfect example of you only need to make a mistake once to learn your lesson. Almost everyone I know who freelances, who is a consultant now, who has any base amount of experience working for themselves has had at least one bad client, and it's usually just the one. Everyone has at least one horror story. I wasn't sitting around one day thinking, you know, I should really have qualifying questions. It was more mm -hmm. of a this really sucks. I don't want to do it again. How can I not get there? How can I make sure this doesn't happen again? Right? For sure. For sure. I mean, there is also the chance you will be unlucky. You will have a crappy client uh, get through the cracks there. It happens. Don't beat yourself up. But also, um, to, to put this in another anecdotal way, if, if you know a guy and he complains about his crazy ex-girlfriend, I, I hate it when dudes do this. They're like, you know, every woman I've dated is crazy. If every woman you've dated is crazy, it's you. It's not them. <laughs> if every right. client you've had is crappy, you really need to take a look at yourself and what you're doing. You might not be a bad person or a crappy freelancer, but if it keeps happening, something is wrong in your process. Well, something that's, that's one of the things, you know, I, I get a I get a big laugh uh, sometimes by hanging out at the uh, Reddit freelance community um, because it's always stuff like, you know, why does every client I work with suck or 
blah, 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 blah. And there's, or, or things like there's no way, you know, whenever they read like a story on somebody who's succeeding consulting, it's like, you know, they're, they got lucky or, you know, it's kind of the, the, you see this not just with freelancing, but just, it's pretty, it's a universal sentiment in a lot of ways. Um, but it's often, like you just said, it's one of these things where the right question should be, you know, am I, it's obvious that not every consulting client on the planet is, is Satan himself. Therefore, is there something about what I'm doing? Is there something about the way I conduct business? Is there something about how I work that is causing this to happen and then look at themselves versus trying to make this judgment that, you know, oh, every, you know, I'm, I'm doing it fine. Everyone else must be wrong. Absolutely. And you are a lot more vulnerable to bad clients when you're starting out, when you don't know what to look for, when you're a lot hungrier, desperate, your expectations aren't as high, you don't know all these tricks and red flags and everything. And that does need to be appreciated for both you and your clients. But that's where that's where you ask a lot of questions. That's where you work really hard to communicate. That's where you listen to podcasts like this <laughs> uh, and learn from my years of experience and uh, slightly less amount of mistakes. Um, like that's that's the entire point of things like this. If you're if you're listening to this, you're already miles ahead. Let's say streets ahead of uh, everyone else. So basically, yeah, just just do your part. Um, don't be afraid to to disqualify clients, but also don't be afraid to take a good hard look at yourself and how you're doing business. In terms of implementation, I mean, the thing that's really helped me both to really set myself up as a professional and to get good high quality clients and, and things like that often relates to introducing processes into my business, which I know a lot of creative types kind of abhor that term and don't want to have kind of like a way or a structure or um, processes in place. But I found when I started having like a very systematic way of, you know, here's how I qualify new leads. Here's how I sell new leads. Here's how I onboard new clients, which involves setting the right expectations. Here's how I, on a weekly basis, communicate with the clients I do have actively right now. Here's how I follow up with past clients. I mean, it seems very procedural, but that's if there was a big inflection point, that's one of them uh, in my own business. And I know that's, again, it's something that having talked to a lot of freelancers, it's kind of, especially the more creative types, it's not something that like, you know, they, they, it's kind of counterintuitive in a way I, I found at least. There is this, uh, this friction that can come from somebody who considers themselves an artist setting up like formulas and processes and all this uh, typically left brained stuff. Um, the whole left brain, right brain thing always struck me as a little silly, probably because I consider myself a writer and a creative writer at that. But I am a very analytical guy. Like I like all my decisions to be based on facts and logic. And I also, as you've said, uh, like <laughs> I, I have those processes. I have little email scripts. Uh, Gmail is amazing for that. You can save emails you've sent and you can like pull them up anytime an episode of my podcast goes live. I just have a little base script and I just shoot to the person that was my guest. It's timed and everything. I barely have to click more than three things. Um, and it just tells them like, hey, thanks so much for being on the show. Here's the podcast. If you can leave a review, great. If not, no problem. Um, yeah, that's that's it. And, and I know it might sound impersonal or whatever, but if, if the less time you spend doing the, like, the, the upkeep of your business and the more time you spend actually doing the work you, you probably got into this to do, the work you enjoy doing, 
uh, that's time well spent, in my opinion. When I say, like, I have these scripts and everything, and you have these processes, that doesn't mean there isn't room for, you know, a little personality, a little yeah, bit of... We're not robots. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're... Right. And I think that's the fear that people have, is um, having having that degree of structure is more than uh, the kind of, like, that, that idea of, I'm a creative sitting at the coffee shop on my MacBook Pro, look at me. Which I think a lot of us, that's kind of the appeal. That was the appeal I had to wanting to become a freelancer, especially having previously sat in a cube farm. But I think what we're both saying, which is, you know, in retrospect, and, and not only just the two of us, but also lots and lots of lots of other people we know, what what's really helped us has been when we've used qualifying not as a way of just getting rid of people, but more as a way of seeing is there a good mutual fit, right? Like, is there... Are they in line with what we're looking for in terms of a client? And are we in line with what they need in terms of somebody capable of producing business value for them? Um, and then from there, you know, let's say expectation setting, the onboarding, are we, you know, we, we start to do this. We start to say, okay, we have this almost like a checklist in a way for how we, what, what we, the expectations we set with our clients and how we get their project off the ground and everything. Cause we've seen what happens when that doesn't happen. We've seen the, 11th hour nightmare situations that happen. So we started in implementing this. And again, a lot of it, I, I would say that none of this for me, at least has been, I never sat down and planned all this out. It was more, this is, these are like reactions to what has happened in my own business. And these are all living documents. You know, my qualifying is like the, the questions I use when qualifying are not like set in stone. They're, you know, they, they evolve over time as I get, you know, as I, run into more situations, I guess. Um, and, and same thing with kind of how I onboard new clients. And, you know, it's, I, I think it's just a matter of like really stepping back and thinking like, if things have sucked in the past for me, what could I do to be more proactive in helping that not happen again? For sure. Absolutely. And these systems, I, I think one thing that's on a, that, that goes really unappreciated about them is they might feel impersonal to you as you're making them. Um, but if you're dealing with a business client, each new business client, you're probably going to have to ask very similar questions. But these are new questions to the client you're asking them to. Um, if, if you've ever been on a first date, sorry to keep comparing client <laughs> relationships to literal relationships, but it's very true. But if you've ever been on a first date, first dates are the worst. Second dates, substantially better because first dates are like a script. You ask all the same questions. They ask you all the same questions. It gets so old so fast. And you're doing the same thing with your clients, except you're you're just you're fast forwarding the entire crappy get to know each other. We're both putting on a face period and you are actually getting to know them lickety split because you know what questions to ask and you're asking them in the correct way. And you figure this out over time and then you, you get to jump forward into that relationship, figure out how uh, well, you'll get along together and I either say like, hey, thanks, but no thanks. Like I only wasted, you know, three minutes of our time as opposed to three hours um, or, hey, from the sound of things like we should get to know each other better. And that's that. So a little formula in your creative process. <laughs> it, it's not a bad thing. It, it, I find it empowering myself. Um, I'm, I'm going to go that far. It, it just it frees up my time and energy to do things that really matter. And to me, that's the work itself. I agree. I agree. So Bryce, I just want to, again, thank you for coming on. Um, I think the big takeaway that hopefully everyone uh, walks away with is that processes are not bad and that they are our best way of avoiding 
the thing that keeps you in business, clients from hell, right? Um, but so speaking of business, I know you just released a, a new book that just came out called Hell to Pay, um, which is all about um, kind of getting profitable clients, I believe. Do you want to, why don't you give us a little quick update or preview of what that is? First, I have to compliment that sequitur. That was amazing. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's the basic concept. It's uh, I found out that the average uh, freelance rate for a writer in Canada, which is where I live, is $22,000 a year. Uh, and if you're at all curious, that's about $1,000 away from the poverty line. Uh, and that's absurd to me as somebody who has made a living as a freelance writer for a number of years. Granted, I live in Vancouver, which is one of the most expensive cities in the world. But sorry, this anecdote's uh, getting away from me. The point of all this being, uh, I wrote this book as sort of everything a freelancer needs to know about finances. And it starts very basic, you know, everything you need to know about, like how much to set aside for taxes, for retirement, whatever, to like how to invoice your clients. But it also goes further. It, it gets on some of the stuff you've uh, talked about with such amazing expertise. And as a result, there are some links to Brennan's articles in there because uh, I mean, you said it right. I don't need to say it twice. But yeah, uh, hopefully I'm not echoing everything you're saying. But uh, it does. It starts with, uh, you know, how to figure out your hourly rate. And then it goes way deep into like why you should start charging by uh, product, not hourly and uh, how to charge more. Um, basically, it's it's everything you need to know about money and then how to start earning more of it. So the link to that is clientsfromhell.net, uh, rather, slash hell to pay, hell to pay, not the number two. <laughs> and um Awesome. Yeah, I'm looking at the, I'm looking at actually the the sales page right now for it. It looks great. Oh, thank um, you. Yeah, we should actually you should come back on sometime and we should talk about I'd love to talk about budgeting. I mean, that's something that I don't think um, it's something I've been thinking a lot about just because I've with over the last few years, I've gotten kind of crazy about automating like, you know, savings account not savings accounts, but like uh, emergency fund accounts and future house funds and all this good stuff. And um, I think it's really something like getting out of working, getting out of living in your cash flow or surviving based off your immediate cash flow, I think is something that I would love to talk more about. So maybe we can schedule something else and, and chat more about kind of like the things you've learned and, and the things that went into uh, the writing of this book. Oh, you know, you know how to tickle my interest. Nothing <laughs> like budgeting to, uh, you got me on the hook. Well, Bryce, it was awesome talking to you and I'm Willing to bet, or I know for a fact, we'll be seeing you again soon on the show uh, to talk more about all things money. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on, Brennan. And uh, if any of you guys do have any crappy client stories, shoot them my way, clientsfromhell.net. Look for the big red button that says submit your crappy client story. And uh, yeah, I'd love to give it a read. And I do read them all. So uh, you're, you're not alone out there, even if it doesn't make it on the site. All right, you can check out more about Bryce and what he's got going on over at clientsfromhell.net. He also just launched that new book that we talked about, uh, clientsfromhell.net slash hell to pay. So give that a look. Uh, if you haven't left a review, please do so. Your reviews really, I, I finally got the service that I'm, I'm paying for that emails me whenever a new review comes out. Apparently there are multiple iTunes stores that each have their own set of reviews. So until I had this service, I actually didn't even know that, you know, somebody in France left a review. I wouldn't see it when I go in, when I open up iTunes and search for um, my podcast and look at the reviews. So anyway, leave a review. I'll definitely see it now. We've also got a lot of things in the pipeline. Um, I'm working and I'll talk about that next time, but I'm working on uh, really getting making W Freelancing Conference Europe amazing. 
Uh, we've got a lot of people coming. We've got amazing talks missions that came through and you can't beat the venue we, we selected. So we've got that. We're also going to be launching soon the, um, the directory of global meetups. So I think I mentioned before, we have about 500-ish uh, unique meetup locations around the world when I surveyed my list and asked them if they would, um, you know, if they want to join like a local uh, meetup group that, um, you know, is all about consulting and freelancing and is more about the business side. It's not about, you know, design or a certain programming language or whatever else. Um, so we've got that coming together. We're also talking with a few potential sponsors who, and this is something I'm really excited about, who, um, you know, so say we have 500 groups and each group meets once a month. Well, we could have one sponsor who basically sponsors all of these groups at once. And let's say buys each of them um, pizza or, you know, something, right? Like covers some of the um, costs incurred, at, you know, at these groups. So we could be, you know, Double Your Freelancing really here is a nonprofit middleman in a way who, um, you know, the group leader would submit to us, hey, you know, we bought pizza from a local pizza shop. Here's our receipt. And then we would kind of funnel that over to whoever the sponsors and they would help cover that. So I'm really excited about a lot of the things we have in the, in the works. If you haven't looked at the, uh, or if you haven't submitted rather, your interest in joining a local meetup group, again, these will be decentralized. These are all locally run. We just want to help because we have such a big audience of freelancers and consultants. We want to help get your local group in front of as many people as possible. So um, head on over to www.freelancing.com, click on the events tab, and you'll find out more about how to uh, submit your interest. All right, we'll see you again next week.